Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 44. Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 44. And of course, it's Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 28 to 44. And in case you don't know, next Sunday is Show Up Sunday. It's Easter Sunday. And um, I would like to not have an empty seat. And you can say amen. amen. Yeah, so be it. That means I'm going to do my part to do that. All right. Welcome to our church. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell them, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as they had been told. And as they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near to the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voice for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and you and your children within the walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You know, if you could find that picture you had about Jerusalem and the temple and things like that, if you can find that for a little later, I I would appreciate it. Um, Today is a great day. We celebrate it as a day of palms, Palm Sunday. Um, You know, if, if you were in the Middle East and palm trees everywhere, you know, they're there as much as we have oak trees here. And they have the palm branches and so on. And so Jesus had come to this place one week before uh, Passover. He arrives at Jerusalem and he's making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And as he is, his disciples are, uh, they've gotten the colt and Jesus is riding in. They are praising God and declaring that Hosanna, that this is, the, this is their king. They believe that Jesus has come for this appointed time to set himself up as a king. And so they lay their palm branches on the road, uh, you know, cutting them from the trees and laying them on the road. They take their cloaks off and lay them on the road as the donkey passes over and they have their loud cries of Hosanna to Jesus. And they are saying basically, long live the king, long live the king. And they knew that Jesus was there because they knew of and believed in a prophecy. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says, See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. That was written 480 years 
prior to this event of Jesus riding into Jerusalem. So the prophets had foretold about Jesus. The prophets had declared that there would be a Messiah that would come. And the, the people were aware of these prophecies. They were aware of this declaration about a Messiah coming. Except they didn't quite get the connection between who Jesus was and how this, the prophetic message of, of the Old Testament, how it was fitting into the life of Jesus. So when Jesus entered Jerusalem, he is well known, and we know that crowds were crying out in loud voices because of what they had seen Jesus do. So they weren't just all hyped up in some religious fervor. They were praising God because these are the individuals who had seen Jesus and heard of what he had done. Many of them had seen because they had come to Jerusalem for this Passover. And they had come from the neighboring areas and the neighboring surrounding areas far away as Galilee. And they had come to, to Jerusalem for this time. And so as they're coming, they are celebrating this man and they were celebrating Jesus and all that he had done. So it isn't like somebody's in the crowd stirring them up. They are just rejoicing at what Jesus Christ had done for them. So everyone was there. It was a time of a popular mood toward Jesus. It was a crowning day, as it were, for Jesus. The popularity had risen to this great, and I want to call it a frenzy, but a great excitement. And this is Palm Sunday. And they were all... Um, rejoicing at what Jesus had accomplished and what he had done, even whenever they were securing the donkey. Well, all they needed to do was say, the Lord needs it. And that was enough for the guy who owned the donkey. Oh, take it. The Lord needs it, take it. It's not a problem. You take it and take it for him. As Jesus then comes to this place in the road, as it descends into the Mount of Olives. So if we could put that up, that picture of the, the Mount of Olives, or actually the, the Dome of the Rock. Where this Dome of the Rock is, this is not the Jewish temple, this is the uh, Muslim mosque. But this is built on what used to be the Temple Mount. This Dome of the Rock is huge, but the temple that Jesus came over the mount, if you were coming up over from uh, Pleasantville, and as you're coming up the mountain, you would come to the peak, well that's kind of how it is on this way coming up into Jerusalem. So you're on this backside of the mountain, coming up over the mountain, and as you come up to the top of the mountain, at the peak there, at the elevation sign there, how many know where I'm talking about, the elevation sign out there? Okay, so you got the elevation sign. As you come up over that mountain to, to that peak, about 300 yards, maybe a little further, maybe a mile or so, out in the distance is the temple. So you come up over the mountain. As soon as you come up over the mountain, you can see Jerusalem. So you can't see it from of course, from the other side of the mountain. But as soon as you get to the peak, you start, as soon as you rise up over that, that's whenever you see Jerusalem. It stretches out before you. Where this mount is, where this Dome of the Rock is, the wailing wall that you always hear about, where the people are praying, is on the other side uh, of this Dome of the Rock. And it is probably as high as, uh, the base of it is from in like the floor up to the ceiling, and where the ceiling is, that part would be the bottom of this temple. So that's how big this area is. And where the temple would have sat was maybe two football fields in diameter. It's a huge place. 
it's a huge place where this temple, and this was inside of that temple then, was the place where they did all the sacrifice. Inside of the walls was all this place. And so when Jesus then comes up over, the, up over Babcock, as he comes up on top of the ridge, he then looks at Jerusalem and the temples in front of him. As soon as he goes up over the ridge, there's probably about 50 yards, and then it starts down in a valley. This is the Mount of Olives. And it goes down into a valley, which is where Jesus will pray on Thursday. Where the Mount of Olives and the olive trees, he's going to pass through that olive orchard as he goes down into the valley and up the other side into Jerusalem. So as he comes across the top there, this is where, you know, he's, he's sent for the disciples to go get a donkey while he's still on the backside, as it were, on the Pleasantville side of the mountain. He sends his disciples, go into the village up over the hill and get a donkey. And if anyone asks, just tell them the Lord needs it, bring the donkey here and we will ride into Jerusalem. And as he rides, as he gets to the top of the mountain, that's whenever the excitement really begins to build and the people recognize Jesus, and there's thousands and thousands of people in town, because this was an historic holiday, the Passover, and everyone would come to Jerusalem for this holiday. They were there, and they were camped out everywhere. There were no motels. There was, you know, the motel of the garden spot. <laughs> garden spot motel, pitch your tent and lay here. So it was that type of Thousands and thousands of people were in town, and when they recognized Jesus, and they began the crowds, you know, Jesus is here, and all the people who saw him do their miracles, saw him do his miracles, and they were there, and they began to say, Jesus is here, and they began this big celebration. They began to joyfully praise God in, in a loud voice. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. If you can imagine, thousands and thousands of people, if we've been at football games and places and arenas and, you know, if anybody's been watching basketball, the crowds cheering and so on. Imagine this, they're all just all just in a loud voice. So if the Bible says it's a loud voice, <laughs> they're shouting. They are ecstatic, ecstatic. You know, Jesus is coming. Now, the sad thing is, these who are praising God here at this moment had a conflicting ideas about Jesus. They expected a national leader, they expected a king like David to come and liberate them from the Roman oppressors. Um, they were deaf to the prophetic message that had been written. They were aware of some of the prophetic messages, but they didn't see how the other ones, you know, that he would be a Messiah that would die for his people and setting up a kingdom, a spiritual, that didn't fit. So they didn't pay attention to it. Somewhat like us. <laughs> you know, there are certain things we like to hear and certain things we don't like to hear. Well, they were deaf to the prophet's message about the Messiah and blind to the real mission of Jesus. Verse 39 says that some of the Pharisees said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why don't you make them be quiet? They thought the word of the disciples and his followers were sacrilegious and blasphemous. This idea that Jesus is king, they wanted that to be stopped. The Pharisees did not want Jesus challenging their power and their religious authority. Things have not changed that much. This is still one of the 
our main reasons for not giving Christ his full place even in our own lives. Because we do not want to give up the idea that we have say over our lives. That's furthest from the truth. That somehow I have to become somebody different if I become a Christian. No, we become the person that God wanted us to be from the beginning. And that there are things that we do and say that are hindering us from being really successful with our lives. In which we will find true success, which is a relationship with God and a place of forgiveness and letting go of the past and having a future. And having an understanding that I cannot be anywhere that God is not there with me. The Pharisees and these individuals had the wrong idea about Jesus and his mission and they set out to stop it and to destroy it. The Pharisees felt threatened by Jesus. He's popular. He's influential. He carries authority with the crowd. He will ruin the good thing that we've got going here. The Romans are in charge and they've given us authority and Jesus is going to come and mess up the whole thing. As if somehow God had the wrong idea. So God even uses the misguided understanding of the Pharisees to fulfill his own divine plan. Sometimes we have the wrong concept of what God wants in our lives. We know that the message is so great and will have such an impact and is so important that if we do not declare it, the rocks are going to cry out. When the Pharisees wanted Jesus to silence everyone, Jesus said, I can't do that. Because if these people won't declare who I am, what I have come to do, if they won't declare it, the rocks will speak. The rocks will declare it. And it's like there is such a divine message in our lives. There is such a divine message that comes to us. If we don't pay attention to it, it's going to fall out of the sky. It's going to come to us from the rocks. It's going to come from us from places that we never dreamed of. God will speak these truths into our lives. And we'll sit back and say, whoa, wonder where that came from. And then we'll go on as if it didn't happen. But God has a way of speaking truth to our lives, of bringing us to a place where in his presence there is no place that we can be that God is not there. There's sometimes that it's more real than others. You know, like being together and singing and all of us saying the same things and focusing on the same things and focusing on God and focusing on our worship. In Acts chapter 2, they were all in one accord. When people are in one accord, it's like a culmination of faith, a pulling together of our faith and pulling together of our worship, a pulling together of all these things in, it, in the presence of God and the Spirit of God is able to move, sometimes even in a different way than He does whenever we are in our own, little, in our own prayers. So God comes and He speaks to us and He touches our lives and, and it's like a balancing of the reality of God's presence and then the speaking of God's Word. If we don't have God's Word, we don't understand His Spirit. And it takes his spirit to help us understand his word. And the two go together. That's why we try to do and have a balance of both. In the praise, in the worship, in the singing, and in the preaching. And that it would be a balance so that both would help bring both to life in our lives. As Jesus approached the city, 
he would have gotten to that mount, you know, up over the mount, and he would, you know, they were bringing their praises to him. And as he was perhaps looking at it from this view, you know, because it's just straight across, from the top of one hill to the top of the other, and as he's looking across, across the, across the valley, and there's the city, and Jesus stops. And he begins to cry, weep, for the city, for the people. Because he's grieved at all that he wanted to do through them, and to do through the people, and to do through the city, what he wanted to accomplish. And you think about all of the prophets that came. You think about all of the men of God, that, you know, the great prophets and kings, David and, and so on. David, this was David's city. David set this up as, as his capital. And this is David's city. That's why it's called David's city, because David, he conquered this city and he made it his capital. And ever since then, it's been the focal point. Jerusalem. You know what the three middle letters are of Jerusalem? J-E-R-U-S-A. L-E-M. How many thousands of years ago was that set up? <laughs> we are connected. Jesus weeps for this city. The prophets that we read about in, in, the, in the scripture. Jesus weeps over this city and over the people. There were times that prophets and kings went out from here. They should have never won their battles. They should have never been able to conquer their foes. But, you know, under the direction of God, they were able to go out and take the enemy. And they were able to come back victors in, in, in impossible odds. <laughs> it takes about five minutes to fly over Israel. <laughs> if you're in a jet, you know, fighters, it's a little country. Think of their defense, their defenses and so on. It's like millions of people against billions of people. <laughs> and somehow they always win. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem and over what they could be. The opportunities that they had. If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. If you only knew who it was that was here before you. Pharisees are saying, stop them people from putting palm branches and stop them from what they're saying. It's sacrilegious. And the people, they're all cheering because they think it's David coming back to liberate them and get rid of the Romans. And Jesus stops and weeps because they don't yet understand. He's not upset with them in the sense that he's going, I'll teach you a lesson. He's broken in his heart because they don't see. They don't comprehend what it's all about. And sometimes I, I think of that in our own lives, that is if Jesus is stopping right at our life and saying, David, you still don't get it yet, do you? There are certain things that you just don't understand. And God doesn't say, well, I'm going to teach you a lesson. He weeps for us. He, his heart is broken because we don't have a real picture of what he wants to do in our lives. We're like the Pharisees or we're like the, the religious people and we think God is this and he's going to do that and he's going to change things the way that we want them to be and, and drive out the enemy and, and get rid of all the bad people and we can be happy forevermore. Alice in Wonderland. Now we don't want to go down the rabbit, wrong rabbit hole. We want, to, we want to see God for who he is. It's not a fairy tale. God is a very real person. 
God in Christ. They are all equal in nature. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are equal in nature. They all have the same. The Father is the same as the Son. The Son is the same as the Father. And, and the Spirit is the same as the Son. They're all three equal in nature. Submissive in purpose. Jesus is here to do the will of the Father. The Spirit is here now because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Try different, distinct yet one. Seems like it's impossible to think it, but yet here in his presence seems to make sense. Father, Son, and Spirit, if you only knew the things that I had for you, if you only knew what I had, we ask God to open our eyes. For you see, the world is bigger than we can imagine, but yet each of us belong in it. Each of us belong in this place. Each of us belong in this place that God has, has given us. And he doesn't come to teach us a lesson. He comes to give us a revelation. He comes to give us an understanding of an aha moment when things change. We are called by God and chosen by God for a purpose. Jesus comes to this moment in our lives and he stops and he looks over us and he says to us, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am the way and the truth. I am the vine. And he speaks these words to us. Do we see Jesus coming? Do we recognize that he is coming? He comes into our lives every moment of every day. Do we recognize his coming? Do we recognize his spirit? Do we recognize his love? Do we recognize his call upon our lives that he makes a difference? That his spirit gives us life and strength and hope and that we have life in this life and in the one to come. Jesus was coming. He was riding into Jerusalem. He weeps over the city. But you know what? He's come to do battle. He's come to do battle with the enemy of our soul. Not two equal forces. But he's come to finish the battle. For you see, he created us in his image. And by our ability to choose, we chose to walk away from God in the garden. And sin entered our lives and entered into humanity. And sin brought about a separation from God and from eternal life. But Jesus came to Jerusalem this day. He came to Jerusalem this day to be the king, not seated upon a throne, but hanging from a cross. And it is there that he would change mankind and change humanity forever. There's a story, it's called the twice-owned boat. This young boy and his dad made a beautiful, scaled sailboat. They carved it, they painted it, they placed all the right sails in the right place, and they made it to scale. They spent weeks and months crafting this boat. And finally the day came for them to sail it. And they went out to the lake, it was a huge lake, they went out to the lake to practice it. 
and to see how it would work. And sure enough, as they placed it in the water, a wind came and caught the sails and took it out into the lake. It was perfect in the sense that it could sail. And the wind took it and it sailed out across the lake and it was lost. One day, the young boy was walking through town and there in the window of a store was his boat. And he went into the owner of the store and says, that's my boat. <laughs> my dad and I made it. And the owner said, it's still going to cost you. So the boy went home and got his savings and took everything he had and back. And he and his father went back and he purchased the boat. And as he walked out of the door, he told his dad, Dad, this is my twice-owned boat. Once when we created it, and now that I have bought it back. God created us. And we sailed off in our sin, in our rebellion. But at the cross, Jesus purchased us, redeems us, buys us back. We are his twice-owned creation. Once when he created us, and now when he forgives us. Father, thank you. Sometimes we are resistant to your love. Sometimes we don't understand it. But Lord, we thank you for loving us. It is a love that looks beyond our faults and see the, sees the need of our lives. For your desire, O oh God, is to purchase us. You died upon the cross that you might redeem us, purchase us back from our sins and our failures. Thank you, O oh God, for forgiving us and living in our lives. I ask that this Palm Sunday be one in which we celebrate your triumphal entry in our own lives. And that, God, that we will recognize the great value that you place upon us. So bless this day here in your presence. That, God, that we can become what you want us to be. May you never weep over our lives again. Because we will listen to your voice. Renew our hearts and minds by your spirit. And that your word, O oh God, will become the strength of our lives as we recognize we are twice owned by you. Amen.